everybody, and welcome to the second episode of the Talking to Change, a motivational interviewing podcast with myself, Sebastian Kaplan, and my good friend, Glenn Hines. Hello, Glenn. Hi, Seb. Hi, everybody. So we, uh, like I said, this is our second episode, first episode last week, and, and mainly, well, I guess did two things. We introduced ourselves and talked a bit about the podcast in general and what our hopes were for the podcast. And, and then we, we really got into the motivational interviewing spirit and, and talked about some of the, uh, the key elements of, of the spirit. Glenn, just wondering how you felt it went. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it, Seb. And uh, like you say, we, we, we started to cover some of the, the key aspects of, of the spirit. And certainly when I, when I let friends listen to it, they were very happy with the content um, one of my brother-in-laws took it for a run and told me that maybe the sound could be a bit louder so maybe that's something that people could help us with that they could maybe give us feedback on on the, some of the technical sides of the podcast since last week uh, things have moved quite quickly for us at this end as well because we're now uh, we've moved it from just listening to it on the online at, our, at my webpage to having it transferable to a download, which makes it much more accessible to people. And we're just waiting for a word back from iTunes. Uh, they're just reviewing the first episode, so hopefully people that are now listening to this have accessed it through iTunes or one of the other downloadable sites. Right. Technical aspects as well as uh, some of the content as we're moving along, we were certainly uh, hoping to hear from audience members and, and to, to ask questions about some of the terms or concepts we might be sharing uh, or discussing, and, and even maybe to suggest uh, topics for, for future episodes. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So we just shared a bit about ways to access podcasts uh, and ways to communicate with us. We realized that we hadn't mentioned anything about a very important website within the motivational interviewing community, and so. Maybe we'll take a, a moment here to, to discuss that and to discuss the professional group that we're both a part of. So there is a, a group called the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers, which is an international group of professionals ranging from clinicians to educators to researchers, all dedicated to the advancement and best practice of motivational interviewing. And so you might hear the term minty from time to time on, on perhaps on this episode and, and future episodes. Uh, so uh, a minty just refers to, uh, it's just an affectionate term that we use to describe ourselves as you know, those of us who are members of the Mint. And for people that are interested in, in finding out more about the Mint uh, or finding out more about motivational interviewing, certainly there's a number of resources available to people that access the website, as well as ways of contacting trainers from from literally all over the world, you can find us at motivationalinterviewing.org. So just wanted to make sure we make that clear and, and know so people know how to get a hold of us and, and to access more information, really. Yeah, good idea. And I suppose just to confirm, if people are looking to contact us, the, the email address is podcast at glennhines.com, podcast at glenn, G-L-E-N-N-H-I-N-D-S.com. Great. Right, so today in episode two, we'll be exploring the core skills of motivational interviewing, often described using the acronym ORS. And we'll be discussing each of the, the elements of the ORS and, and, and discussing how they help facilitate motivational interviewing conversations. 
How does that sound to you, Glenn? Yeah, sounds like a plan. Right. So the first thing we'll, we'll go into some depth with is are the ORs. And these are the core skills in motivational interviewing. The, when, you, when you listen to a motivational interviewing conversation, you will surely hear these four key uh, foundational counseling elements. And we use these ORs or these core skills in, in a particular way to, to make uh, the experience of motivational, interview, motivational interviewing rather unique. And so the first element that we want to talk about is the O in ORs, or open-ended questions. Uh, Glenn, why don't you walk us through that for a bit? So the, one of the things we consider is what is an open-ended question? And the, the way I was introduced to them was the notion that it is a question that invites then the person in the conversation to consider their answer and to be able to answer in more than a single word uh, that encourages elaboration, that encourages information to be offered. Uh, so it's the who, the who, the what, the where, the when, the why, the how. And interestingly, fr from what we know from the psycholinguistic research is that very often, certainly in the UK, people will respond to what is essentially a command, which is tell. They will respond to a, st a statement starting with tell in the same way as they would to any other open-ended question. So essentially mm. what we're exploring is the notion of how do I invite an individual that I'm talking to to give me information uh, in, in a way that essentially assists me understand things from their perspective. Right, so there's some specific kinds of questions that, for instance, would begin with a what uh, or a how and, and, would, and it would certainly invite, not guarantee, but, but invite the person to, to go into some depth. Uh, but also a, an opener of, of tell me more about such yeah. and such subject. Yeah. yeah, so essentially that invitation, so it's not do you, does that hurt you when that happens? It's a case of how do you feel when mm -hmm. under these circumstances that allows the client to describe it from their own perspective rather than the practitioner dictating an understanding or dictating a way forward. And, and there's something quite different uh, I suppose, experientially for both the client and the practitioner uh, to have uh, open-ended questions being the primary form of questioning that the practitioner uses, right? As opposed to, you know, a series of closed-ended questions that are seeking just small bits of, of information or data along the way. Yeah, and very often clients will tell me or students that I'm working with that, you know, it, it invites the practitioner to think before they seek information. It's what is it they're trying to understand and and they will talk about clients that they've worked with, feeling empowered by the experience of being asked, you know, how do you feel about this? And there may, I'm thinking very often working with the likes of social workers who have family and childcare responsibilities that the expectation of the client, of the practitioner is, is that they're here to tell me what to do and they're telling me how to do it. Whereas when they meet a practitioner trained at motivation interviewing, they're working collaboratively to f navigate a situation and they are genuinely curious as to how the, the family member thinks that this can be done in a way that, that will resolve the issues on a long-term basis. And that can be quite strange for some people that have grown accustomed to being told what they should be doing, how they should be doing it, when they should be doing it, and that they're working with an expert who, whose job it is is to give them answers. Right, I'm glad you brought up 
uh, in essence, some of the elements of the MI spirit that we discussed in episode one and open-ended questions, therefore, is, is a one of the ways anyway to uh, put the those elements of the spirit in action, so to speak. And, sure. You know, sure. If, you, if you're asking these really open questions that invite some depth on the part of the client, it, the, the implicit message is what you have to say is really important here. And your perspective is is as important, if not more important than mine as, as the practitioner. And so it, it, it just it just really leads to a, a much different kind of conversation than one that is uh, primarily focused on closed questions. Sure, it, it reinforces that collaboration. Let's both of us think about this and reflects back that what I'm endeavoring to do today is to really understand what this means for you and how this affects you and what are your ways forward for this. And again, that's that very often for individuals, clients. That's strange to begin with. Right. Well, maybe we could talk about the second piece of ORS, the, the A in ORS. Uh, and the A stands for affirmations. You might think of an affirmation as a an observation that a practitioner makes about the client. Uh, it's a particular kind of observation. It's an observation of, of strength, uh, of resource that the client possesses. And it's it's an observation that comes from, from evidence that, that's portrayed in the conversation. There's information that is exchanged. And, and so part of it is just the, you know, the specific pieces of information that you're trying to make sense of. But the practitioner when doing MI is also considering what does this say about this individual? Sure. What characteristics are coming up that are being um, either described explicitly or, or that, that you're just picking up on in an implicit way? And, and then it's offered back to the client. So in essence, it's a description of, of the strength that they possess. It's really recognizing and acknowledging that what is good about this individual, including I suppose very importantly, the, the inherent worth of them as a human being. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. just about what they're doing or how they're doing it. It's, it's that beginning point, which is that I value you for who you are, that there's a belief in that other person and mm-hmm. in many ways fits with Roger's notion of positive regard, that, you know, that, that, that the notion of somehow that the feelings of the way I approach you transcends and persists no matter what the circumstances, that there's nothing that you necessarily can do that's going to change my view of the nature of who you are as an individual. I might not mm-hmm. be agreeing with your behavior, but I'm not judging you solely on your behavior. I'm, I'm seeing you as a as a, an individual, as a person. And mm-hmm. that effort to communicate my experience and view of who you are to yourself. Right, and... and- you could imagine that it puts the practitioner in a really different place from from what they're tuned to and what they're listening for. You could imagine a client who's gone through some really difficult experiences, perhaps made some some behaviors that we might find possibly even abhorrent. Sure. And but as a practitioner, if if you are if one of the goals of a conversation is to pick out and to notice strengths however they may come up sure. in this individual yeah uh it's really quite a different listening experience and and, and and really changes the dynamic of the conversation between the practitioner and the client. right 
Yeah. And it, sometimes I, I also, I, I will talk about affirmations and just contrast it a bit with the notion of praise, right. because that's something that I think sometimes learners will, uh, will view an affirmation as just another way of praising the person. And uh, just to make that distinction, a praise statement is more so something like, good job, or I'm proud of you for how you've handled that situation. Right. And I know there's different, uh, different opinions about praise. I, personally, I don't think that they're that terrible. And, and in some cases, people really enjoy the experience of sure. The, the distinction that's important for people to think about is praise, in a way, is a judgment that I, as the practitioner, am making on the other person. Hmm. You could say it's a positive judgment. I'm, I'm trying to be encouraging, and I'm saying I, in essence, agree with what you're doing or what you've done. But it, is, it does put me in a different position there as one who is, is able to judge the client or judge their choices. Uh, whereas an affirmation isn't so much a judgment uh, on their behavior, on who they are. It's it's recognizing strengths that come out from their story and what they're telling me. And it's really these, these strengths that they possess. That, and I'm just noticing them and, and commenting on them. Right. So you've been very considered in, in the way you're putting this and recognizing that there is a time and a place for praise. At the same time, that's separate from what an affirmation is. And I know that at one of our conferences, one of the things that was talked about was in affirmations is, is that, interestingly, the research around it is that when someone receives a genuine affirmation that the brain releases oxytocin and that this experience in itself has a very positive impact on the relationship because when we look at when else oxytocin is released, some of the examples would be at childbirth when someone's making love and when a child's been fed by its mother, which seems to suggest that the brain is experiencing intimacy, the individual is experiencing intimacy, and how that's communicated is through the release of oxytocin, and it's about realising what the impact of that might be for a client who's unseen, a practitioner, and receives genuine affirmations, and I think that's a really important part to uh, emphasise, is that that when we're offering affirmations that they must be genuine in nature, it is something that I have seen, it is something that I have experienced, it is something that I do notice. I'm not blowing smoke essentially up your chimney uh, to try and make you feel good. It's it's about that authentic relationship. You're getting the real version of me as I witness the version of you back to yourself. Right. No, well said. And, and yeah, a lot of interesting findings coming out as far as uh, the neuroscience of motivational interviewing goes. Yeah perhaps a, a future episode for us to consider. When I'm doing my training, one of the things I, I have learned to talk about is that, that people are very keen to have something practical to leave with. And what I expose people is, is as we master the affirmation, the notion is, is if, if you consider what we're doing as a, as a toolkit, the affirmation itself is probably the single most powerful tool available to us in our toolbox because mm. we are again, witnessing that individual, that inherent worth of the individual who, because of circumstances, have found themselves at this point in their life, recognizing that under different circumstances, the person in front of us probably would be a different version of themselves, that the environment that they lived and grew up in or currently existing is in itself having a very powerful impact on how they present. It's It's an invitation to practitioners to, again, build on that, notion of the strengths-based approach 
to notice what's already there rather than trying to fill in what's missing. Yeah, no, excellent. All right, so the next piece of ORs, the R, uh, a particularly important one in in the world of motivational interviewing, what would you like to say about about reflection? Reflective listening. Um, One of the things you're going to hear most in any motivational interviewing conversation is what's called reflective listening or what might be described as accurate empathy or it's the attempt by the practitioner to, again, communicate back their understanding of what has been communicated by the client in that moment-to-moment conversation. And it's emphasized as almost like the most important part of the, the core skills. And very often for, for people, it's probably the most complex part of the, the learning to master, but one that as it develops, it allows the individual to perhaps hear things that they didn't realize they were telling us because a very important part of the reflective listening is is that we're not just trying to communicate what we what the person was saying but seeing behind that almost like listening three dimensions what did that person just say do we have a sense of what they meant when they were saying that and on an even deeper level how are they feeling as they describe that situation and communicating that back to the client, very importantly, as a statement rather than as a question. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, an, it's we'll talk about this, I imagine, in another session, which is the idea that the way we communicate or the way the speaker, the listener communicates back in itself is guiding the talker as to what to be doing next. So that by asking a question, we're inviting a person to think, whereas with a reflective statement, we're just endeavoring to hypothesize and to have the client just to notice are we accurate and to continue walking rather than to move up and down from the cognitive to the emotional experience right and it is also another opportunity for the mi spirit for for there to be some action behind that i guess what i mean by that is use the word hypothesizing and it it really is a, a great word to describe what a reflection is it is simply a hypothesis uh, on what we are hearing and what our our developing understanding is of the client's experience and what right. they're saying. Now, because it's a hypothesis, it may be inaccurate. Sure. It may be wrong. It, it may be wildly wrong. Sure. And and this every time you offer a reflection to a client, the client has the opportunity to say, actually, it's not quite like that, or no, I didn't really see it that way, or or let me help you understand it better, which is one of the very nice ways of maintaining that collaborative partnership that runs throughout any motivational interviewing conversation. So in some ways, this is this is about supporting the practitioner realize this is not about you getting things right. The mm. idea that you can't be wrong if you're not trying to be right. You're simply mm-hmm. sharing with them, this is my understanding of what it is you're saying. And interestingly, what you're describing is is that even when the client experiences you maybe being a bit off beam, they seem willing to make an effort to help us understand that almost right. like the client wants us to get it. Right. And they will help us to do that. Right. Exactly. I, I often talk about in trainings that it's actually a, a, a nice sign if, if I'm getting corrected which could be kind of awkward and and unsettling perhaps for some practitioners who might feel like they always have to be right or they always have to have the answer. But but if you can just sort of sit for a moment and embrace the idea of a client correcting you in that moment, 
the client's also saying, you know, I'm with you, we're in this together, and it's very important to me that you understand where I'm coming from. And, and that is a really good sign in a way. Now, of course, if they're correcting you all the time, maybe you need to listen a little bit more carefully or, 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 or kind of work on the reflections that you're using. But, but uh, you know, if there's an occasional correction that comes up because you're just missing the mark in some way, it really is a, a, a nice element of a conversation. So this is not a competition? Yeah, right. This, right. is, this is again that as you, you were talking Eric I just saw the roadmap and that the client is just gently shifting our steering wheel from side to side just to make sure that mm. we're still alongside of them moving in the direction that they feel comfortable with that the individual wants to be understood and maybe mm-hmm. that's something you know for, for listeners to consider what, what is it that, that when you're talking to people what is it you're seeking most and, and who are the people you feel closest to who are the people that you you feel most supportive in your life, and and would it be fair to say that most, if not all of them, get you from mm-hmm. your perspective? The who see see things, who even when they they may live a life different from yours, can communicate their efforts to try and understand it from yours. Right. And essentially, right. That, that in some ways, that's what you're describing. That that's what we as MA practitioners are trying to do. Is just acknowledge so it sounds like this it seems like this for you or that's difficult for you you're working very hard at that uh, you seem disappointed that people aren't listening mm-hmm. i'm trying to get it right well and and also there's there's sort of a, a double effect to a reflection if you think about what a question the, the power of a question especially an open-ended question it invites them to say more about a particular thing right the uh, reflection has the same impact. When you when you say something like, it seems that you're very disappointed in how that turned out for you, that is also an invitation to say more about how that turned out for you. Right. The added element to that invitation is that expression of understanding or the, or the ongoing effort to make sure that you are on the same page and seeing the situation from their perspective. So it has two, sort of a double double effect in, in my eyes. Sure. So it, there are many times perhaps that we have traditionally learned to ask a question, how did you feel about that? Whereas w- what we're exploring in reflective listening is, is if, if I have a sense of how that individual may have felt about that, rather than me asking, how did you feel about that? It's just acknowledging that seems <laughs> or that sounds or you were... That, that it almost like maintains the pace of the conversation in the sense that I, I'm not always checking with you via a question. I can check by acknowledging my understanding of what that was like for you or mm-hmm. what it was often the meaning behind what the person was trying to communicate to us from right. that perspective. And Glenn, I, I wonder if you've had this experience with uh, in some trainings or with MI learners that, that some might feel that a reflection is a bit imposing perhaps or or it's almost like an interpretation of sorts i, I know i've received that question sometimes that people have just been a bit uncomfortable with yeah. it um is that something that you've you've encountered or absolutely frequently i'm told how do i know how somebody else feels or that sounds mm-hmm. patronizing or and these are valid questions these are valid concerns and and, and it's about acknowledging that 
individuals asking these questions are keen to ensure that their intervention uh, doesn't threaten the relationship or and or worse damages the, the client's experience in a way that could be detrimental to them in the future um, so it's it's as as with any motivation driven conversation it's about how do we navigate the concerns that the trainee has at that moment and acknowledging I, I suppose from an affirming perspective that it sounds like you know what's important to you is that that when you're helping people that it's done in a way that maintains the well-being of the person that you care for and you're not going to introduce a reflective statement into your conversation just because you've been taught it this has to make sense right yeah it, the wonderful thing about that question that comes up is is just the real importance to be genuine and and in the in the conversation and yeah. in the relationship yeah it's recognizing that when when training practitioners in motivation development, we're working with them as individuals. So ideally, what's happening is they're experiencing our use of motivation development strategies. They hear us practice in the spirit of motivation development. That we're not trying to impose this intervention as a way forward. It's an invitation to recognize motivation development is certainly a very effective way, but it's not the way. It's a way mm-hmm. of helping, and and yes. uh, uh, the point of our conversation today is to introduce the concepts of motivation development, and and for people to choose which bits of it they can connect with and to build from there, and that to invite their own curiosity and to investigate how what we're talking about or what it is they're experiencing in the training room can translate back into a work environment in a way that allows them to continue mm. to do what it is they're trying to do, which is to be a benefit to other people. So um, for yourself, what I'm thinking about is the fourth of the core skills, the summarizing. Right, right. Um, Summary. So so we've, we've gone through the ORs now, open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and finally, summaries. I, I guess I view a summary in a way as, as sort of an extended reflection. Uh, it can take several forms. Uh, it could be it doesn't necessarily have to happen at the end of a conversation. Sometimes if you if you meet a client and, and a client is rather talkative and, and, they, uh, and they, they really just open up about uh, a kind of a, a rather long, painful experience that they've had, it can be a very useful experience both for uh, myself as the practitioner and for the client for me to try to synthesize or, or to summarize what the client has shared with me, both to make sure I'm understanding it for, mm. for the client to kind of rehear it right. in the way that I've heard it. Yeah. Uh, it also provides the client an opportunity to make any corrections, again, much like with the reflection. Uh, but, but also it, it could be a, a useful strategy towards the end of a conversation as, as you're starting to wind down or maybe transitioning into the, the ending moments of, of an encounter uh, to, to sort of think step back think back to what ground you've covered in the conversation that you just had so it sounds like in some ways they serve a couple of different functions it's almost like they allow the practitioner to take a breath take stock of each element of a conversation rather than waiting to the end it's 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 almost like one of the metaphors i've heard it described is, is as we walk through a meadow with a client that from time to time we just take a moment and pick up a flower and by the end of a conversation we may have developed or collected a bouquet and that's the, the transitional summary where we 
offer back all of the conversation at the end. So today we've talked about this, we've talked about this, we've talked about this, we've talked about this, and that's the final summary of the session. But throughout the journey, there have been smaller, maybe three or four sentence summaries just to ensure that understanding. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and again, really just emphasizing the importance for both participants in the conversation, you know, to, to have that, that sort of bouquet offered back to the client is yet another example of the practitioner trying really hard to pick out some of the important points, the important details, the important aspects of the story. And that can be helpful, and, and certainly, you know, clients often appreciate that. And, and really, just to emphasize, also, the gathering of those those flowers and, and the offering of the bouquet goes a long way to really clarifying in the practitioner's mind: these are the key elements of this person's story, and these are some of the critical factors that will help people ultimately in making changes in their life which is what motivational interviewing is all about. Right. So really putting the issue into context with everything else that's going on for the person. And it offers the, the practitioner an opportunity to, as you say, emphasize certain aspects of what's been described. So in some ways we can be quite directive in the nature of what it is we choose to summarize. So later, later in the series we'll begin to talk about what's called change talk or what's called sustained talk which is essentially the language we know that influences an individual's willingness to move towards change or their determination to stay the way they are. And that by attuning ourselves to that language, and very often we'll hear both forms of that language in a conversation, we can be very strategic in which forms of language that we emphasize or reflect upon or summarize when we're communicating back our understanding of the client and we we can influence the direction where we go next by what it is we mm-hmm. decide to summarize back right it's a it's a great point uh and i suppose you could say the same about your choice of open-ended question your choice of of an affirmation your choice of reflection even uh, that, that that's where the strategy of motivational interviewing comes in provided it's done in a way that maintains the MI spirit, which we discussed in episode one. And, and so it, it's, these are nudges and, and sort of suggestions perhaps to, to kind of consider the change talk, which again, a term that we'll talk about more in a little bit, you know, suggestions to consider the change side of the equation, all the while being prepared and, you know, and mindful that the client may not be ready to do so at that point. We'll just go alongside with them if that's what occurs. Yeah, and that leads us nicely into understanding the four processes and and the stages that people follow on the journey from making up their mind to actually implementing the change and what we as practitioners need to consider about how we assist an individual within the spirit using the four core skills to navigate what we describe as the four processes which is actually a nice segue into mentioning our, our next episode, which will be a more in-depth discussion about the four processes. But for now, uh, we've covered quite a bit of ground for, for today, and Glenn, maybe you can remind the audience how they can get in contact with us and, and ways of accessing the podcast. So there's a number of ways people can contact us. There's by direct email at podcast at glennhines.com, podcast at G-L-E-N-N-H-I-N-D-S.com, 
or on our Facebook page at Talking to Change or Twitter at Talking to Change. Okay, great. Well, uh, another great episode, Glenn. Uh, nice talking with you today and uh, for all the audience. I uh, hope it was an uh, enjoyable experience. We'll, we'll see you again next time. See you, Seb. Thanks. Thank you.